Hey everybody, it's Lorenz. Thanks for downloading today's episode. I just wanted to give you a heads up that today's episode was actually recorded last year prior to our hiatus. Uh, We think it's an episode that you're going to love and unfortunately we haven't been able to post it until today. So we hope you enjoy. It is a parishioner profile featuring one of our really good friends, Megan Magaldi, Uh, but very cool. Since we recorded the episode, things have changed uh, amazingly uh, in Megan's life. Her and her husband, Justin, got to welcome their first child into the world, Justin Jr. So if you can, just pause this episode, say a prayer for Justin Jr. and the entire Magaldi family, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Just a Parishioner. I'm Loren Zaragoza. I'm Sean Greeley. Thanks for downloading today's episode and don't forget to subscribe. These episodes are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We have a great show for you today. We have a parishioner profile and we have another topic that we're touching on. That topic is the beginning of a Catholic marriage. And I think it's very appropriate with number one, the guest that we're going to have on and number two, for you, Mr. Greeley, because you are preparing for your marriage as well at the end of the year. I was going to say, we're going to have two experts in you and our guest, both of you in great Catholic marriages, and it'll be a great lesson for me as I'm preparing. And I'm sure my fiance will really appreciate that we're having this conversation so that I can have some good ideas as we go into it. Right. And the, the problem is if you come up with a great idea, she listens to the podcast, so she will know that they are not your ideas. I was going to sorely disappoint her either way. <laughs> and, that, and that is the episode. Prepare for your Catholic marriage. Prepare for disappointment. Yeah. No, far from it. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, but again, there are going to be questions, and I, I think there are going to be genuine questions that you have uh, for Megan, who uh, Megan Magaldi, who is our parishioner profile today. Um, so before we jump into the parishioner profile, uh, Sean, if you just want to rate down really quickly what a parishioner profile is, one more time for listeners who may not know. Yeah. So parishioner profile, uh, our guests come on, they just share a little bit about their faith life. They share with us their significant moments where God revealed himself to their lives. Um, so we're, we're privileged to be able to hear it in the interview. And then it's a great thing for everybody to be able to hear and reflect on those things in their own lives too. Absolutely. If you think somebody might be great for a parishioner profile, again, you could reach us on Instagram at just a parishioner or facebook.com slash just a parishioner. And you can reach us at we are parishioners at gmail.com. Once again, today is our first remote interview because she lives a little far away. She used to live here in New York. Uh, today's personal profile is coming from Megan Magaldi out in Nashville, Tennessee. Megan, how are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to be here. How, how long have you lived down in Nashville now? Oh, man. I think this September, it'll be three years, which is crazy. I don't know why I felt, it, I felt like it was longer. I felt like it was longer really? since you moved from New York. I guess I miss you that much. Oh, I miss you guys. Yeah, Megan Megan is uh, is a good friend, but was a good friend who lived here in New York with us. So we we don't get to see her often, but, uh, you know, times like this, it's, you know, where technology is blessed because we get to have conversations with you like you're in the room with us, which is phenomenal. So thanks again for joining us, Meg. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, when we spoke a few weeks back, I asked you, Megan, you know, I want you to think about it. I want you to pray on it on a topic that you feel passionate about. And you said, beginning of marriage, Catholic marriage. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> Locked and loaded. You you knew that was, you know, in your heart so early. So um, 
you know, that is something that we are going to talk about. But again, we want to talk about your personal profile first. So, uh, I'm, you know, I know that you were preparing for it tonight and you were, you were praying on it. You were thinking about it. So what are some moments? So let's start from the beginning. How were you raised? Raised Catholic, right? Yeah. So I grew up Catholic. I was raised in the church and it, I never really encountered Christ until I actually went on a youth conference. Um, I went with a youth group and I was about 15 years old. And during adoration, I would say I encountered Jesus for the first time in the Eucharist. And I remember just like absolutely like bawling my eyes out and being like, who is this? Like this person is real. Like, I can't believe I feel so young. Like what, what am I even experiencing right now? And um, when I left, I thought to myself, man, so, so much of my life is going to have to change because of this, because I've like encountered this heart piercing moment of like who Jesus really is in the Eucharist. And it took me a while uh, to make those changes because I'm only human. Right. So to, to make those like serious changes, it took um, a lot, but I'm really grateful for, for youth group, obviously, when I was younger, um, when I really encountered Jesus for that first time. Let me ask you a question, not to, you could go into as much detail as you want, right? Um, but you say you needed to make some changes in your life after this encounter. Uh, the first question I have, and this is more of a just an, you know, curiosity thing, were you going to church uh, pretty often on a regular basis prior to that encounter? So I was, um, my mom would bring us to church every Sunday and I kind of would reluctantly go. It was just something that in my experience was you go to church on Sunday with your family. That's just what you have to do. Where when I came home actually from that, that retreat, I, I, like my heart was on fire to want to go to mass to receive Jesus in the Eucharist because of what I had just experienced. So that's kind of when it changed when, you know, when you encounter Jesus for the first time and your faith kind of becomes your own, it's just like the very beginning steps. So, and so the second question I had is, you said you need to make some changes. What, if you could give us an example of, of a drastic change or, or a pretty major change you needed to make in your life after this encounter? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so in high school, I kind of, I would say I lived kind of a little bit of a Hannah Montana life. Um, I was someone who was on the dance team. I was involved with uh, faith stuff at school, but I also, you know, would be going to parties and, you know, being young and dumb. And those were things that really needed to change. And it took years for me to change that um, because I loved my friends and I loved the people that I was around. They were incredible people. Um, but I kind of just started to veer into a different path to where, you know, your faith requires you to not do certain things and to really, um, you know, actually like follow the commandments and not gossip and to, you know, not be drinking underage and, you know, all things that some people might be like, oh my gosh, will you live, you know, what a boring life that would have been. Um, but really when you, when you make those changes, you're actually leaving, you're leaving behind maybe things that you thought would be great and would be fun. Um, but there's really so much more like abundant life with Christ in it. I think that's an early age to make that transition, if I'm being completely honest. I was literally just thinking, I was like, I had my like Christ moment in college or right at the end of high school and then just didn't let it change me radically all through college for the most part. Uh, so God bless you for having that happen when you were 15. You know, that's awesome. 
if if this makes any sense and it won't but uh if if i weren't my age i'd still be drinking underage like if the if the legal drinking age was 40 there would be no remorse up until right now of my my current age so uh props to you for doing that when you're when you're 15 years old or at least starting that process like you said it's 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 one of those things where it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. And then three weeks later, there's a party going on. And you're like, all right, you know, after that party, I'm, I'm going to snap into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> all right, it's, so, a, it's a gradual process. Sure. So again, good on you to, to, to again, it's, it's you, but it, it's not you because it's the grace of God, uh, you know, speaking to you saying, I need to make that change. And just from the people that we've had conversations with already, sometimes that, 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 you know, God talking to us is much later in age. Sometimes it's as early as 15. So really, really good stuff. But we'll stop waxing philosophical over here and we'll let you continue, Megan. Yeah. So again, so you're making this conversion of heart, if you will, and your actions. Um, you know, talk, let's let's hear more about, uh, you know, some of the staples in your faith life. Yeah. So I went to uh, Adelphi University for one year when I was um, just starting college. So my freshman year, I went to Adelphi University and my youth ministers actually uh, had graduated from Franciscan University, which is a Catholic college in Steubenville, Ohio. And I actually had some friends that went there for school as well. And I went to go visit. And I remember my freshman year of college, I kind of felt this tugging in my heart to think about going away to school. And now mind you, I was very much a homebody. No one ever thought I would leave home. Everyone thought that I would stay. I loved my family. I thought, gosh, I can't live life without them. And it's funny now because I actually moved away from New York. So that's funny like that. But I went away to Franciscan University my sophomore year. And to kind of tie into the whole topic and, and all of that, I actually had met my husband during that time um, when I was going into my freshman year of college um, around that time. And we had just become friends at that point. So me deciding to go away to college was also a really big deal because he was someone who was important in my, in my life, but we weren't dating at the time. And um, we had actually dated long distance for the time that I was at school. But I would, I would contribute most of my faith life and my growth and who I am and kind of how I've been formed was from my college experience, um, from this Catholic college where I was actually, I mean, I had the opportunity to, I mean, I, a chapel was in my dorm room. I could walk up a flight of steps and there was a chapel there. And I had the opportunity to go at any moment of any day. And sometimes I took that for granted. Sometimes I didn't, um, but it always felt actually like home and like really safe. And I think it's actually because Jesus was like living with me, which sounds crazy. But when you believe that Jesus is in the Eucharist, that's the truth, right? Like he's in a chapel and I'm living a floor below him, uh, which is really wild. But um, so I had the opportunity to go to the chapel every day. There was daily mass that was offered. And I also was in a household, which... Basically, um, a household was kind of like a, soror a sorority um, for the college that I was at. And I had the awesome opportunity um, to be in this amazing household called Theotokos, which means God bear. So we really looked to Mary a lot. And I got to learn a lot about who Mary is um, and why she's so important. And the other women that were in the household, we were all so different, which made it so incredible because we all learned from each other. Um, you know, we just had goofy times and we're just normal and human, but also just really holy women that were striving to love the Lord every day. So 
Franciscan was a really huge part of my journey. Every time I've heard somebody talk about Franciscan, it sounds like half Catholic Disney World and half just like living saints at college. Was it like that? Was everybody just like very devout, like a majority of the student population went because it's a very Catholic school? Is that kind of the how the patient, the students were? Yeah, I would say Franciscan is a very unique place. And I think for you to go there, you kind of have to know what you're getting yourself into. And I think a lot of people kind of knew what they were getting themselves into. And there, there were, I mean, no matter where you are, uh, whether it's in life or in college, you know, your relationship with Christ is your own individual relationship with Christ, right? Like you can just go with the flow. And because you were in a, an amazing Catholic college, you could do all the things on the checklist, right? Like if you're a part of a household, you go to all these different commitments and you go to mass and you pray the rosary and, you know, you can, you know, air quotes look really holy, but when you graduate from college, who are you and what is your, what is your relationship with Christ? It can't be because everyone else is doing it that you carry that with you when you leave, right? Because life gets hard. It, it's it's so tough because we always talk about the toxic culture on college campuses. And, and it's like, well, you got to send your kids there so they can find out who they are. It's like, they're not finding out who they are and on most college campuses. They're finding out who they are based on what the secular culture is telling them to be. They're, they're learning who to be from a bunch of other 19-year-olds who don't know who they are. Exactly. Now, here, in this instance, uh, how many undergrads go there usually on an annual basis? Oh, gosh. I would say, like, the whole campus was, like, maybe 2,000 people. I'm okay. so sorry if that's wrong. I don't know. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm just, I was just curious. I figured you'd be Wikipedia on this. I guess not. Um, but I was, <laughs> uh, no, but, it, you know, this is, if you're going to find out who you are, why not do it in Jesus's presence? Yeah. And right? I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a college just like any other college where it's like you can like you said, you can live a double life if you want to. You can join a household, but you can also be at the bar every day if you want to. You know, I'm sure there are mm-hmm. bars there. Um, but with that being said, it it has to be a powerful thing. Like you said, being able to sleep in the same building as where the Eucharist is present, you know, and be able to utilize that. And probably if you are that person at the bar every day, having a stronger network of people who are going to tell you, you should probably stop doing that. A network I wish I had. Or if you're sleeping <laughs> around or whatever else is right. going on, you know. I think Matt Frad from Pines with Aquinas moved from Georgia up to Steubenville, Ohio. Yeah. Yes. I actually, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but I think that he might be opening a brewery there and it's kind of like reviving like the Steubenville area, which is incredible, which also don't hold me to that. But I think I heard that. So from what my under, from what I understand, again, little Matt Frad side, a piece there, it's, it's that he, his studio is going to be on top of a brewery. Like his recording studio is going to be on top of a brewery or or something along those lines. And that's phenomenal stuff. That's really cool. That's really cool. Anyway, Steubenville, new place to be, right? Um, mm-hmm. okay. Most of what I know about Steubenville, by the way, is from another Catholic podcast, Catching Foxes, because those two guys went there, but they talk about it in like the early 2000s. So I'm sure it's very different now. Mm-hmm. Or probably much more different, uh, even more different than when you were there, you know, not too long ago. So yeah. that that's great. So again, great college experience. And you can't say that, <laughs> that for most people. Yeah. Well, I'll say that for you. You had a great college experience, a great Catholic college experience. Yeah. Hempstead, New York was the greatest place you could ever ask to be. I hear Matt Fred is moving to Hempstead, New York from Steubenville, Ohio. 
God bless them. <laughs> um, you know, I say for most people, but, and I say that for myself, but, you know, mine was a much more secular uh, kind of college experience that, you know, and I still have friends that, you know, lifelong friends that I would, you know, I, that I love to this day. Um, but I'll say that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a God-filled experience for me. And uh, looking back, I wish it was. Um, but back to you, Megan. You know, clearly I was just uh, venting over here. Go, go back to episode one for Lorenz's personal profile. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, but back to you, Megan. So a great college experience. Um, any other key moments, you know, key staples in your in your faith journey? Yeah, so actually when I was at Franciscan, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Gaming, Austria for four months. And that was so incredible and a really uh, big moment, if you will, in my faith was when I went to Lourdes, France. We had the opportunity to go either on a 10-day trip or to go on a mission trip. So I actually was begging God to not call me to go to a mission trip because I really, really wanted to go to Greece. And of course, you know how God works, but I ended up going to Lourdes and it is such a beautiful place for those of you who can travel, hopefully when the world, you know, is good to travel again, Lourdes is honestly the place to go. And when I was there, one of the key things that I remember is one of the ladies who was actually kind of guiding us through the whole, the whole weekend. She had said to me, you know, ask, ask our lady the grace that you're most in need of, because we were about to go into the baths, which you, um, you know, most people go with an intention that they're wanting healing from. And I was so overwhelmed and I thought, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. There are so many things in my life that I need healing from. How can I just pick one? And it really calmed me when she said, ask our lady the grace that you're most in need of, because she knows she's a mother and she know what mom doesn't know what their child needs. Right. And when I uh, got into the baths, the water was freezing and there were three women that were really holding me. One was, they were both holding my arms and uh, a woman was behind me. She had her hand on my chest and she said, look to Our Lady. And it was a statue of Our Lady of Lords. And they were praying Hail Marys. And then they said, okay, we're going to dip you in the water. And I remember when they dipped me back and I came up, it felt like snakeskin just fell from my body. And I remember weeping and thinking, oh my gosh, this is what people mean when they say that you're made new in Christ. It was this tangible feeling of, I, I am made new. It doesn't matter what I've done in the past. He loves me for exactly who I am. And I, I have, you know, I've been given the grace to, to choose to live in that healing, right? We can like receive healing or, you know, receive forgiveness, but most of the time we're actually unwilling to like forgive ourselves and, and to, and to move forward and to learn from whatever that might've been. Uh, so Lord's is a really, really huge turning point in my faith to really accept that healing. Um, and, it really has provided a lot of healing within now my marriage. Um, but Justin actually came to visit my husband, Justin. He actually came to visit when I was in uh, Lourdes. And I remember sitting in this little cafe and I was telling him really what I had received healing from. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes, sitting across from me in this little cafe. And he said, I have been praying for this moment for you to receive this. And that was huge. 
<laughs> okay, so just to, you know, peel the curtain, this is the second Lord's reference that we've had from a personal profile. And then this is the second time that like my eyes are welling up. Yeah. Second story. time I got chills. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's just, I can only, I could, I could put myself in Justin's shoes, your husband in his shoes. And because I can only imagine the way that you're describing it, because this is years later that you're talking about it with so much passion, Megan. And I can only imagine shortly after this, this encounter, the way that you must've been talking about it to your boyfriend, Fiance yeah. at the time, Boy, boyfriend. boyfriend at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to your boyfriend, and I, I mean, I can only imagine the emotions that the emotion that was running between you and him. That's really, really mm-hmm. phenomenal stuff. Um, I mean, did you have any follow up questions with that before we moved on? No, I don't think so. Um, I just really want to go to Lords now. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> open up these these COVID lines, man, because like we we got to travel, we got to go. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so uh, I mean. Again, another phenomenal experience. Anything else? And I'm and I'm not saying that as in like move it along. Like like what else do you got, Meg? <laughs> like, yeah. So so after I graduated from college, I went home to New York for the summer. And then August 30th, I don't know why I'm saying the specific date, but um I left. I left Long Island and I moved to Nashville and once again, I thought I would never do it. My family thought that I would never do it, but I actually came uh, to Nashville because that's where my boyfriend at the time was. He was here for work. He works for a Christian artist um, and he was touring and, you know, they're kind of in and out on the road. And I, you know, we both knew this, this isn't going to work if we're both not in Nashville. Um, and that's, you know, if that's where God called him, then, you know, also that's why God called me here, right? Like he aligned our, his wills for our life to be in the same place. Now it wasn't the easiest, you know, decision. It was obviously difficult because I didn't want to leave, you know, my friends and family at home, but, you know, I knew that God was calling me to Justin and ultimately I needed to make that move to come here. So so you graduated in May and then you moved in August. So you were home for a total of three months. Yeah. June, July, August. Good math, Lorenz. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, oh, so let's backtrack a second because I'm curious how, how long, I forget the timeline. How long were you dating Justin at this point? So we were dating, we started dating in January of my sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. And so we did long distance for like, I guess what, two, two years, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So you did long distance for two years. You can't, you graduated college and you said, I'm not doing long distance again. And not an easy decision to make, but you said, okay, I'm packing up and I'm moving down to Nashville. Yeah. I will say I went to Panera, which father Sean, who's my brother-in-law will have to correct me if I'm wrong on that. But, um, I just said to him, like, I'm, I'm having a really hard time. Like, I don't know what to do. And Justin never forced me into a decision. He always wanted me to come to the decision on my own. And, and Sean basically said, and now I don't know if I'm making this up in my head, but he basically was just like, if, if you're not in Nashville, you have to kind of be aware of the reality that this might not work then, because if this is where God's calling Justin, then you know, how much longer could you do long distance for? If, if you're in this for the long haul and you're in this basically, you know, for marriage, what would be the reason that would be keeping you at home? You know, and it, it would have been fear. And God, think, God doesn't work in fear. 
I was just thinking that um, what a what a crazy mature decision for a 22 year old to have to make, you know, like especially today when most people aren't considering something like marriage by the time they're graduating college. Um, and obviously you guys were taking it much more seriously than I think most people do. So it's a matter of you're home for three months after you were away for three plus years, part of that being in Europe. And you're like, am I ready to permanently leave my family? Yes, because it could be for the man that I marry. And that's not even a sure thing, but I'm going to trust that God is going to take me there. That's so impressive, but so uncommon today. I'm, I'm going to like the, the words right there that stood out when you were talking, Sean, is could be. Right. Could be because at that point he didn't propose to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There that was is no correct. Guarantee. I was extremely impatient. <laughs> there, <laughs> but it was I mean, a whole this, year before he proposed. Well, well, you know, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Maybe No, you know, we'll talk about that when Justin's on for his personal profile. Why you yeah. waited so long after she moved down. But that's what it is. Well, like, and, and I'm trying to think about that in my life, right? In my life, with God in my life, how many, how many decisions do you need to make or- how many leaps of faith do you need to make in your own life for what could be? That's the biggest thing, right? It's, it's, you, you took the leap of faith and it's, you know, obviously Justin had a lot to do with it, but there, I mean, go, go back to episode two where you, where Sean talks about discernment and the big things in your life. This, this is one of the big things in your life that you needed to discern. And, and the fact that, and, and going to God again, might not have, it had to have made, made it easier in retrospect, but at the time, it's still, still not an easy decision to make. And it, it, it helps me reflect on the time, on the things that I need to discern for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, when you're making decisions about anything in life, you know, like I was saying before, God doesn't operate in fear. Like that's just, it's from the devil. It's not from God. And when, when you have peace about something and it's hard, but you can go to bed at night and fall asleep and like rest your head on the pillow and be like, I actually feel more anxious about staying than I do about going. That's, that's where I had to like trust my heart and then also trust him and trust that, you know, Justin wouldn't be putting me in a situation that he didn't think would be best for me and also for the both of us. So it was kind of like blindly <laughs> trusting him and also really trying to just you know, trust the voice of God when he was calling me to come here. Yeah. That, I mean, that's awesome. So, so now you're down in Nashville, right? Now you're, you're in the same city as your boyfriend who hasn't proposed at this point, by the way. Um, so, uh, keep, keep it going, Meg, where do we go yes. from here? So when I moved here, the, I mean, maybe the day or two later, I actually started working um, at a women's treatment facility. I'd majored in social work in school. And when I graduated, I said, I will not work in the addiction field and I will not work with women. And that's exactly where God put me. He put me right. at a women's nonprofit addiction facility, a little bit west of downtown Nashville. And I worked in their admissions department. Um, so basically I was the first person that people were speaking to when they wanted to come in for treatment. Um, so for about eight hours a day, you were in constant crisis mode and constant, you know, uh, chaos basically, but I loved it. And then I actually, uh, was really privileged to be able to move up and to work as a case manager there. So I actually had a caseload of women that I was working with and helping them along their stay while they were in treatment. And I, I know when I look back that that's also another really huge part of how God is continuing 
to form me in one in my faith, but also just in life. And as a woman, like these women, I would learn so much from them. I mean, they have so much courage to face the things that they've dealt with in life. And I would have to sit in front of them every day and and say, okay, let's work through this. But then when I would come home, you know, was I willing to do that? Was I willing to look at the the mess and the crap in my life and trust the words that I was speaking to them and over them that, you know, Christ believes that you're worth this. Like, do you believe that you're worth this? And I had to ask myself the same questions, you know, right? Like I wasn't, and I don't struggle with addiction, but I struggle with many other things. Like there's no one, I was never above them. Uh, We were peers and that it, it took a toll on me though. Right. Because like I was saying, there was a lot of chaos and a lot of um, crisis mode at all times. And it really started to take a toll on me. And when I was living, obviously, here in Nashville, you know, Justin was coming kind of in and out, which also I'm sure I can talk about this at some point. But him coming in and out really brought up one of my deepest wounds um, from childhood. And I, I always say now that God was using what my, if you want to say small T trauma or, you know, big T trauma, uh, from my childhood of, of really that abandonment, like God was using Justin's job to really heal that wound. Like he is like the Lord has used my spouse to heal what my deepest wound has been in my experience in life. And that's just how God works. Just like how I said, I would never work, you know, here and here. And that's exactly where God calls you. And, um, it was just a really huge, huge turning point in my life, learning about myself and learning who I am. And, and then I was projecting a lot of my emotions onto him because I didn't know what to do. I was like, I just moved here and I don't even have community and I'm working as a social worker. And, who am I? Like, how do I do all of this? Um, so that was, it was a lot to juggle. My first six months here were really hard. I definitely would not breeze over that. It was difficult. So I, I got a couple of questions, oh, hey, like 50 questions, but a couple of them that come to mind is, was this a, a Catholic or, or Christian organization that you were working for? Yes. It okay. wasn't Catholic, but it was Christian. Okay. Yes. And so that really, you were open I was to able talking to about freely your speak yeah. about faith. Okay. I mean, that's the, the, the freedom to be able to do that, especially with that. Like if you, if it wasn't and they say, oh, well, don't talk about your faith. It's like, you have all this stuff pent up. I I don't think any of us would last for two weeks in that, in, in that kind of setting without needing to talk about your faith. Um, but sorry. I I think something that came to mind for me was kind of what you referenced just before was, yeah, you moved down to a new state halfway across the country you know nobody besides your boyfriend who's in and out of the city because he's touring the country and you're working with all these women and taking all of their emotional um, trauma on yourself, you know, even in the admissions role, but especially in the case manager role. How did you not, how did you cope? I guess, how did you cope with all of that? But I think, you know, the community part of it is my bigger question. Like, you moved down there. You didn't know anybody. Like how long did it take you to find some people that you trusted that you started to form a real community with? Yeah, it's a really good question. Someone asked me this the other day and I thought, Oh gosh, I don't even want to think back to that time. Um, but I, I kind of walked into a community that Justin had created already. 
with his friends. But for me, it took a really long time because I came from the perspective of, oh, well, these people are just going to want to be around me just because they pity me and they feel bad for me because I've just moved here. And they probably think, oh, this little girlfriend who moved here all from New York, you know, let's just be nice to her. Um, But they're now my best friends and my family here. And it took me a while to accept that. It took me a while to accept that they loved me for me and not just because I was Justin's quote unquote other half. And um, I created community with a lot of the women that I worked with as well. And um, it was a, it was a slow process, but really getting to know people one-on-one. I'm, I'm not always good at the surface level conversation. Um, when, when I'm friends with someone, I'm all in and loyalty means a lot to me. Uh, so it took me a while to really build that, that trust and community with the people around me. But I hands down can say the reason that I feel like God has us here is, you know, because of the community that we do have here. And which is why we, you know, survive here without our, you know, blood family in New York. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it, you know, we talk about it all the time, the importance of having a community around yourself, the importance of surrounding yourself with like-minded people. I mean, what comes to mind is just this pandemic alone with people sheltering in place, being very isolated from others. It's just, it's, it's driving people, you know, it's driving people a little crazy. And I'm not saying that lightly, like literally, because there are so many people who are, in so much fear, and you said it perfectly, fear is, is not a good thing. Fear is a tool of the devil, but there's so much fear driven into so many people that it's driven them into isolation. And and now we're seeing the effects of that, unfortunately. Um, but again, it's I don't I'm not saying I have an answer for that at all. I'm just saying that it's extremely it's it's terrifying, essentially. And I think even just generally, com- like uh, community is one of the probably like top five things you need for a Christian life. Like you can't be a Christian alone. You like God, God himself is a community in the Trinity. You know, you need to be participating in the faith with other people and not even just in the Catholic faith, but like just being able to share love and share um, love of Christ with other people. And uh, it's awesome that you were able to find that eventually. And it's, it's a sad thing. I think a lot of even established Catholic parishes and people that are going to mass every Sunday don't have that. So it's something that everybody should be seeking out and, it's really awesome that you were able to find that. Um, it's awesome that Justin was able to help you form that when, when you got to Nashville. Um, and I hope, I, I wish more people would go out of their way to be able to do that. Yeah. And so uh, again, so now we're down in Nashville. I don't know if he's proposed at this point in the timeline or not. Um, but uh, let's, uh, yeah, well, again, I'll, I'll ask again, what else you got? Some some key moments in your life in, in, regards, to, from, in regards to your faith journey, Meg? Honestly, I don't, I don't think I have any more up until kind of going into what marriage has looked like and, and preparing for marriage. So I can talk about that. See, then that's the biggest thing, right? The biggest thing we're talking about marriage, the topic is marriage, but we all have a foundation. Everybody's foundation is a little different, AKA the parishioner profile essentially, but it's great to have an insight of who you are and how your faith has been built up while we lead into the topic of marriage and especially the first couple of years of marriage, because again, he eventually proposed, obviously you said yes, and y'all got married. So uh, we do want to talk about the first couple of years of your marriage, the difficulties, the, you know, the blessings of it. Um, But we're going to go into that into the next episode.
So it's a good transition there. Right. And a cliffhanger, right? Right. Okay. So uh, once again, Megan, thank you for sharing your parishional profile with us today. Um, For the listeners, I definitely highly encourage for you to look out for Megan's next episode where we do jump into the topic of your first couple of years of your Catholic marriage. Um, So thank you again for joining us today. Um, Don't forget to connect with us on Instagram at Jess Parishioner and Facebook.com slash Jess Parishioner. Every week we'll be posting questions for you guys and we'd love to hear your feedback. So look out for those. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do us a favor and give us a five-star rating so more people can check out the podcast as well. Thank you guys for listening. Tune in next week for the rest of Megan's story. Please pray for us. We'll be praying for you.